You're listening to Skip Intro with me, Krista Smith. This week, I'm bringing back my earlier conversation with Greta Gerwig, whose film Barbie has taken the internet and the box office by storm. It's yet another massive achievement for Greta, whose 2017 solo directorial debut, Lady Bird, earned her an Oscar nomination, which in turn made her the fifth female ever to be nominated for a Best Directing Oscar. Oh, and she also got nominated for Best Original Screenplay for Lady Bird as well. Two years later, her star-studded adaptation of Little Women resulted in another Oscar nomination, this time for Best Adapted Screenplay. When I sat down with Greta this past December, it was to talk about her role as Babette in Noah Baumbach's film, White Noise, which at the time marked the couple's fourth collaboration. That number now stands at five after the release of Barbie, which Noah and Greta co-wrote. In this conversation, Greta reflects on her days as a college student in New York City, digs into her creative partnership with Noah, and explains the role that vulnerability plays in both directing and acting. I caught Greta during her lunch break at Crosby Hotel in New York City, where she and Noah were attending a reception for their film White Noise. I got, I responsibly pre-ordered like salmon and greens, but then Noah requested a bunch of pigs in the blanket. <laughs> so it became everybody loves the combination of seafood and pigs in a blanket. That's so isn't that what they, isn't that that feels like very you know I would never figure Noah for pigs in a blanket. I would figure he you for a pig. pig. <laughs> I know. Good to know. Actually, I'm not. I'm it's not... actually it's at the Crosby. He likes them. Oh, so. oh, so it's specific. That's a little bit more Noah. All right, Greta, it is so good to see you. Thank you so much for coming on to talk to me. I kind of did a a Google dive on how many times you and I have met over the past. 12 years, I think, decade plus, is incredible. We had some good (laughs) looks going. There's so many different movies and so many different things, but it's so nice to see you in front of the camera again. Thank you. I realize like you haven't, it's been almost six years. The last time was 20th Century Woman, Mike Mills' film, correct? It's been a long time since I've acted on film. I find it very invigorating, but also very terrifying. It makes me feel vulnerable in a way that I think uh, directing... Directing you vulnerable, of course, but it, it, it's funny, like in the moment you have a machine in front of you, so you can feel kind of safe in the machine of it. Um, and acting, you suddenly feel like you're a, you're, 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 you've opened your ch- chest and all of a sudden your heart is just beating out for everyone. And that's a quite quite uniquely terrifying experience, which I hadn't had for a while. And then I did it again and I thought, oh, right, this is, this is hard. This is very hard. This is what I'm asking people to do all the time. But doing it with Noah, I mean, that's the best version of it. So it was a good return, even though it's terrifying. The fact that Noah was able to adapt Don DeLillo's novel, White Noise, it, it is just incredible in and of itself, right? And I really responded to this film on many layers, which I think is the point of the film. He was able to translate that. When did you first read this novel? Because I know you're a reader, so it yeah. had to have been earlier. <laughs> it wasn't yeah. just in the script or, or... It was after my freshman year of college. I read it over that summer, and it was one of those books that was... It always felt mysterious and grown up. I just would underline everything things on every single page because I thought it was so funny and so wicked and so true about the world. And there was something about the heightened absurdity of academia in it 
that was really perfect for me because I was suddenly in this environment. I was at Barnard College at Columbia and it, I was suddenly around all this heightened academia, which I'd never been around before. And so the, the kind of Don DeLillo both, you know, gl glorying in the ridiculousness of it and making fun of it and celebrating it all at the same time was perfect for where I was. And this sort of, um, this kind of, the, you know, the sort of Hitler studies department as an idea and the kind of um, like wanting to establish an Elvis power base, like all of that stuff was so resonant. And then it just, uh, I, I think like any great work of literature, if you read it at any time, it feels like it's talking about right, right then. And um, that's what I, I felt because I just moved to New York city uh, in 2002, right after nine 11 and, the kind of disorientation of, of mass destruction and tragedy it felt like it it was being answered in a sort of heightened Brechtian way in this novel. Mm -hmm. And what stuck with you like over time? Did, did, did you, <laughs> there were many things, there were many lines, there were like specific lines that stuck with me. Like um, it, it's in the film, but the line, um, we feel that California deserves the natural disasters it gets because they invented the concept of lifestyle. I think being from California, that was, I, 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 there were whole passages I actually remembered exactly because it made such an impact on me and sort of kind of like pithy observations, like the idea of the most photographed barn in America was so absurd and wonderful. Like, what does it even mean to go look at the most photographed barn in America? I mean, there's, it's so chock full of things. I remembered specifically, this was something that's not in the movie. There was a, um, Heinrich has a friend who's training to sit with the world's most venomous uh, spiders. <laughs> and and that's like he, it's like a training that he's undergoing and then he instantly fails like there's just so many wonderful things in it um and i just it just it really did stick for me and then when it came to so obviously noah decides to uh you know adapt that this is going to be his next thing after marriage story obviously he's yeah. like been working on it and thinking on it and just dating on it and then babette so babette is a fantastic character and you're sitting there and you're like you raise your hand basically like I want to play Babette or was there any discussion he started writing it in earnest when we were in lockdown uh, in New York for the pandemic and he'd started kind of gathering these pages I he showed me some of the pages early and they were they were great and I was so excited about him adapting it and then I read the book again I think the only reason I said this was because we were in lockdown and because it seemed so apocalyptic what was happening, he said, well, who should play Babette? And I said, me. <laughs> but it was, I think I only, I really only said it because I, it, everything felt unlikely. It felt unlikely that we'd ever even like leave the apartment again with ease. That, that it, 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 in a way it was like, as long as we're playing fantasy baseball like well yes I'll take I'll be Babette and I'll have Derek Jeter on my team or whatever it is you know it was like a it felt kind of like a safe thing to say and I think um you know th then that thing that felt safe to say because it was fantasy became became reality because then obviously Noah continued to write it and then 
at one point we met, I met with Adam Driver and Noah and we all sat together and read the script out loud. And that's when it was really like, oh my God, this is, I, I think I would really do this and, and, and what's the right way in. But I just, I loved Babette. I felt like I, I my, my sense of her is I had an instant picture of her in my mind. I knew exactly what I wanted her to look like, her hair, the glasses, everything, the way, the way she dressed, the way she was. And then I just had this sort of sense in the way that Noah is playing with cinematic tropes and different um, cinema genres, whether it's, you know, a disasters movie, family movie, sci-fi movie, all these different things that he's, he's sort of like playing with the iconography of that cinema. I felt like Babette fell into the iconography of like 80s film mom. And that was like a really fun thing that that's kind of the smoke show that she's got going is that like it's the thing that's hiding everything that's very strange about her is like the kind of it's like terry gar in close encounters this oh she forgets things sometimes but isn't she lovable and she's you know she's always uh, in a tizzy about something but she's great and then underneath it she's you know sleeping with this strange German man for pills and she's great. I mean, she's crazy. And um, I think, I think there was something about that kind of like archetypal mother um, that we've seen in movies then being kind of uh, deconstructed. That was fascinating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. I love that bit and, and her, in, as, and it's in the script, her important hair. I mean, the perm is unbelievable. It just immediately sets you into this character and time yeah. and a place and the sweats. And of, of course, being a someone that lived through all of this stuff in the 80s, it is a very important decade in my life, as Noah's clearly. But just seeing all of that stuff and seeing the behavior that we recognize, but never really mm. thought of what was going on underneath because we were too yes. young to kind of register any of it right at the time. But I really love that aspect of the film and like what you say and and obviously the novel, but what you said is so true. Like it feels so prescient. So when I watch White Noise today, I'm like, oh my God, this is everything I'm thinking about. You know, death, life, religion, it's, you know, value, children, answer, and it, all of it. And it's, it is kind of so uh, interesting to me that something that was written in the 80s feels mm. like it could have been written uh during the pandemic yeah exactly and it has um it it i mean i guess chaos is always close at hand and that is one of the things that don delillo is honing in on that uh there are these moments whether it's an airborne toxic event or a pandemic where the chaos that's just behind the order pokes through and you have to reorient yourself. And we spend so much of our lives uh, trying to present, pretend as if that chaos doesn't exist. And then it comes for you one way or another. And um, one thing that was wonderful about the character though, and and about the relationships in the movie is um, that in the midst of this destruction and this chaos, that it is a comedy of remarriage and it is how they find each other again. And that they they don't find each other through it all being perfect. They find each other after the toxic cloud and after revelations of infidelity and pill popping and everything. Like you can and then they've shot a man and then they have to say like everything there's so many things that happen and that find each other again through that. It's hopeful in its absurdity. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's something that, that Don Delillo really 
figured out. And Adam's last last line in the movie, which he says as they're walking into the grocery store, is you know, out of out of a sense of large scale ruin, we keep inventing hope. And I think it both relishes in the absurdity of human beings and also is totally delighted by our absurdity. Hmm. You mentioned Adam, right? So yes. one of my favorite movies of yours, mm-hmm. although it's hard to say a favorite because really I feel like it's it all plays like, mm-hmm. you know, in my mind at various times, was Francis Ha. You running across the street in New York City for me, and this is an overshare, encapsulated kind of every bit of my experience in New York City when I lived there and it moved there at 21 and lived in it was like all in that one scene for me. Like mm-hmm. so much was so powerful, even though it was just a, you going across, a, dancing across the street. But mm-hmm. in that movie, Adam Driver was also in that film, right? You're reunited with Adam, so to speak. Obviously, you... This, this relationship is is at the core of the film. This is, I think, his fifth film with Noah, if I'm doing my math right. Right. What was that like working with him in a kind of where the stakes were so much higher, let's say, than they were earlier? You're kind of already stepping into a formed relationship between uh, Noah and Adam because they've already had their relationship as director and actor. It's true. My relationship with Adam is it's so long. We've known each other since... We were 21, 22, as, because he was at Juilliard at the same time that I was at Barnard, Columbia. And this is a deep cut, but the, the theater program at Columbia is there were a lot of teachers at Juilliard who, who, would te- who taught acting and playwriting and different things at Juilliard who also taught at Columbia. And part of that is because Columbia has a joint degree program with a music program and the dance program. So you can get a BA and a BFA at the same time. I had a friend who did opera and like mm. physics. They're so smart. In any case, I, so I, the acting teacher, there's this acting teacher, Rebecca Guy, and this other acting teacher, Ralph Zito, who both came from Juilliard. And they would talk about their Juilliard students to us at Columbia. And they would, and I think vice versa, I don't know vice versa. (laughs) But I think they, they were wonderful with us because they kind of, we didn't necessarily, we weren't going to necessarily be actors or anything. It was, it was like people who were like interested in Chekhov and took a class. And, um, and so I think they kind of were, found us funny in that, uh, in our, in our um, enthusiastic amateurishness. But I, I knew about Adam. I knew about him already from Juilliard. And then when we all graduated his first off-Broadway play, he was in, with a friend of mine and my boyfriend at the time, they were all in this play together and he was amazing. And I think it was his first professional job. I've never not known him in that, in the sense of like, we kind of came up at exactly the same time. And when we were casting Francis Ha, that's, I I was like, oh, Adam's great. And I didn't, we weren't even really friends, but we, we knew each other. But I remember when we started rehearsals for White Noise, I said, Adam, did you ever think that I would be the person you'd still know? And he was like, no, only you're in this movie. (laughs) And I was like, I think it's fun to think about. Um, But yeah, he's somebody who's just sort of uh, alongside me in different ways. And then, of course... He's he's done so much work with Noah. He was incredible in Francis Ha. And Francis Ha, we were making it so, you know, we were like white balancing on a t-shirt. Like it, we were, it was very bare bones. And he was actually acting on Broadway at the time through some of it. So he would, he, sometimes we'd be shooting 
And then he'd go do the play at night and then we'd still be shooting. He'd come back after rap and keep shooting, which was, it's like so funny to think about now, but it was just, um, I feel like I'm old enough to say now, like to be 26, to be 27 and just like, there's nothing you'd rather be doing than just staying up all night making art. And that was kind of how that was our experience together. And then, yeah, no one came, you know, had such a body of work together. And in a way, even though no one and I are partners, it, it was intimidating because they have an artistic marriage of a kind. And it suddenly I'm stepping in as another dimension of that. And I, I think it is, it's an interesting question because I think I, I did feel that they have some sacred separate bond that I was both part of and not part of. And I think, I think it was something where we had to kind of re-figure out the gravity of everything, sort of see how it all fit together. So, but yeah, they, 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 they're very, they have their own secret language and world, Adam and Noah. Um, it's like, and for as long as I've known Adam, it's like they go on walks and have special time and, they're in their own they're in their own artistic cocoon together the familiarity is so present in this film like with the family obviously you all you believe that you're all a family you don't think you're not the kids are fantastic such discoveries and those performances i think by Rafi, who plays denise and then by sam who plays heinrich i think they're it's fantastic and the other children as well you just feel it when you're watching like there's not one thing out of step it's almost like a musical and as we know a kind of <laughs> it, cut, it like avalanches towards that end in a, in a way right but i know no has talked about a lot. And I know he does this as as a director. You rehearse a lot. And there's so yeah. much physical movement in this film, kind of as he did a little bit in, in Marriage Story, but he really explores it in this film, right? It's like taking yeah. it to a whole other level. And I love that, the way the kitchen has its own life and it feels like everyone is on a different... It's like I think, well, you're from California, you'll get this, the clover leaf of freeways, right? When you look at all these freeways, that's what that kitchen reminded me of. It's like all all of you kind of weaving in and out. Can you just take me through, like, what is a day like in rehearsing in White Noise with everybody? And like, for instance, that, all those scenes that take place in the kitchen. Sure. Well, I, I mean, one thing that Noah has as a requirement when we all go into rehearsals, which very much feeds into the physicality, is everybody has to be 100% off book from the minute they walk into the rehearsal room. So you'll never see a script. Nobody's holding a script, which is a very big requirement to make, especially on, um, you know, little May Navola, who was like 11 years old, totally did it. She she was completely off book. And, um, you know, Sam, Rafi, they were all, they just you know, had, of course, Adam is very comfortable with that. And, you know, he, he not only memorizes the lines, but he memorizes the stage directions. And, but th- th- what it does is if, if you're very secure in the language and Noah's very specific about the language, it frees up your body. It actually becomes not intellectual because you've made it so much part of yourself and your, um, almost your deep, your deep memory that it's m- muscle memory. So the, so we, we all show up armed completely with the words and we start moving in space uh, and picking locations to be and sort of like making choices and then having those choices feel right or wrong in response to each other and building from there. And every rehearsal had Noah, the cinematographer, and then also uh, David Newman, who was a choreographer. Um, and David Newman would also be kind of 
choreographing people around each other. And we got it to the point where all the kitchen scenes, all the scenes we had to do together as a family, we rehearsed in the grocery store, we rehearsed everywhere on location. It was, it felt like miniature plays because it's, it's like we had this dance and each of us had our parts in the dance. And we, it, it was like, we could do it like clockwork. And that was, um, that was sort of extraordinary. It was, it was deeply satisfying and it was deeply rewarding because it felt, it made us feel like we were a team and a unit and we all needed to have each other to, um, to create this moment. And so, yeah, it was, it was sort of um, building it from, building it from everybody making a choice and staking out a territory and then responding to each other and seeing how it felt. But yeah, never, no scripts, nothing, just, just us and language and our bodies and just really diving into that. So cool. All right. Let's talk about Noah. So uh, and in my deep dive on Greta and Krista Smith, obviously uh, you were vanities for Greenberg, which was fantastic, which I met you before that, I remember, but in the mumblecore (laughs) genre, which I will have to say, I loved seeing that it's in part of Webster's Dictionary. And I want you to know I credit you with putting it on the map. For all of my listeners that don't know what Mumblecore is, like, look it up. That was how we all really first met Greta. But then Mm. you really met, I would say, mainstream maybe in Greenberg. That's when the New York Times was fell in love with Greta Gerwig. And and then the kind of rest is history. And then your first collaboration, obviously, Francis Ha, film we've been talking about with Noah. And you guys have gone on to do so much. And you just wrapped Barbie, right, that you co-wrote and you directed. So... I'm so curious, knowing Noah, knowing you, how much has changed from your first impression of like auditioning for Greenberg or, (laughs) you know, working together on your first project to where you are now with him as a creator? Like what surprised you and what's your favorite thing about that? In a funny way, so much of it is the same. I mean, I remember when I first read Greenberg, actually sitting downtown in somebody else's office. I remember I was like, I knew I was going to love it. And I wanted to give myself time because I love those movies. And I, and it was this overwhelming feeling of envy because I kind of felt like I could have written it on some level. I was like, I like, and I, and I had this deep sense of, I know exactly how this should be played. And, um, and I could just hear the language. I could hear it. And I feel like for me, a lot of film scripts, um, the language isn't as isn't as important necessarily sometimes and sometimes in great movies the language isn't as important that it's more about creating rhythm through through editing and less with language and for me i guess because of background in theater and whatever how i'm wired the rhythm of language is really important and i remember reading greenberg and i was like that's it that's it's that sort of accidental awkward poetry of how much people I hide themselves in language and I and I loved it and I still feel that way like when I read one of Noah's scripts I'm like I'm my first feeling is envy I'm like like, oh god why'd you you I I could have written that (laughs) so that sort of recognition of it feels familiar and it feels like something I didn't do, but maybe could have done that. That feels all very similar. I think as we've 
sort of evolved. I guess it's always changing, but I think that the thing that's remained constant in our writing, um, whether we, you know, Francis Ha together and Mistress America together, and we wrote Barbie together, but we're always collaborating on each other's things. Like, I mean, he, you know, he reads drafts of what I'm working on and vice versa. He looks at cuts. I look at cuts. There's always a dialogue going on about each other's work. But when we work together, and it's really something that's both of ours, it sort of creates a third thing. You couldn't exactly say that's half Greta, half Noah. It only exists between us. That feels the same. Although there is a line in Francis Ha that one of my friends said, they were like, that line is exactly half you and half Noah. And the line is, it's her, Francis's best friend, Sophie, introducing her her partner who she's angry at and she says this douche is my affianced <laughs> and um, my friend was like that's literally half you have no <laughs> not wrong by the way not not wrong as they say like yeah that's yeah so and so it was a it was but but I yeah it's um yeah I I think the thing that's striking is how much it's um yeah, it's changing and evolving and we're growing as artists and it also feels familiar. I've never written a song with a person, but I imagine it's what feels like for songwriting duos. Like you kind of slip into a way of being that's only really available to you with that one other person. Mm. Have you ever gotten Noah to dance? (laughs) Yes, I have. Um, I... Well, sometimes he'll dance on like a, a Sunday or a, like a, I used to call him Sunday Noah because he'd like he'd like all of a sudden like in the kitchen he'd have a couple of moves. Um, but the, the time I've really seen him dance was actually at James Murphy's wedding um, who who made New Body Roomba. Um, it was an amazing wedding. And he's a musician, so he has a lot of friends who are musicians. And they're they all and and DJs and um, they all brought these vinyl. Um, they everybody brought like a little carton of their best um, records, and all of the people who were DJs had thirty minutes to spin their best sets in a barn in the middle of the night, and Noah loved it (laughs) we were dancing it was like it was so much fun it was it was the most it was the most fun wedding and I was like oh right the way to have a great wedding is to be friends with music people and food people that's like the guarantee great wedding yeah for sure that's uh, you know there's whole websites devoted to your spontaneous dancing and when it happens (laughs) which I do love because I think of that's one of the many things I love about you, but just that, you know, you feel so much, not only in your head, you feel and think so much, but you also feel it in your body. And so many people don't let their body go that way. And I love that you do without, without, you know, with abandon. It's my favorite thing to do. Really, it's my favorite thing to do. But dancing is my favorite thing to do. Hopefully you'll get a dance in today. Yeah, no, it really is. I have a group of friends, a group of women that it's a specifically a we just get together and dance. Truly. It's very special. <laughs> and so uh, no, I I I um it's 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 something that I truly love too, in that I'm also not it has nothing to do with um mastery or skill level. It's just uh I just love it and I and I and I do love going to dance class and I 
uh, that's like one of my goals in life is to be like the eight-year-old woman who's like in the back of the class and everyone's like that nana really comes to that class <laughs> i share that passion for sure the good song good soundtrack i still am a sucker for this saturday night fever soundtrack Best, anytime yeah. I, anytime i hear that song comes on it's amazing and i can't tell you how much at me and everybody else is looking forward to barbie um yeah. i'm so excited it was i really want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for those pictures during the summer it was just everything i needed and uh, i think everybody needed it as well from the response. And I actually got to speak with Ryan Gosling, someone who I've known very from the very early, you know, start of his adult career, basically. And it was great to catch up with him again. And he talked about working with you. And I know I said this to you when I when I ran into you in person, but it was just so incredible to hear someone else talk about what you meant to them as a director and working with you. And he compared you. It was so beautiful. Like he he hadn't gotten to work with the John Fords or the um, Billy Wilder, but he got to work with Greta Gerwig. And that feels just as important. And I I can't that was such a, like, made me, you know, almost tear up because I think of how much you've done and just this kid from Sacramento that had these dreams or illusions of being, you know, or delusions of being, being, you know, a writer, an actor, a movie maker, a theater, whatever, and the kind of bumps along the way. And it's just, I mean, you're not even 40. So, Soon, don't worry. I'm getting there really soon. We got <laughs> don't because that only makes me older. I'm fine with you where you are. Don't worry about it. That if you're if you're oh. getting older, I am. But I'm super proud of you. Well, Greta. I, do, I I adore I adore Ryan. I'm I'm very obviously incredibly flattered and yeah. He he's he's so absurdly gifted, and so is Margot, and so is the whole cast. And that was you know that was that's a real um, Gerwig Baumbach collaboration third thing and it was really exciting to do and I'm I'm really I'm really proud of it and I'm still working on it um but it's uh it felt like a special thing that we we were able to you know Noah wrote and directed White Noise and I got to be in it and um and then we got to write Barbie together and I got to direct it it felt like uh we got to be in each other's work in a more active way than we had been in a while and um we're always in each other's work, but being able to really do it and for me to have the experience of being an actor on set again and the joy of him giving his very specific, wonderful direction. It was it it it, it was like, oh, how lucky are we that we get to do this? Mm. Well, I'm very proud of you. So, um, and you're fantastic as Babette, you're this movie. I love it. I love the stylized. I love all of it. It's great. And you're again, not surprisingly, really just wonderful. So lovely to see you. Thank you for coming on. So nice to see you. Yes. And, uh, hopefully not too long before the next time I see you in person. Great. Yes. I'm of course, I hopefully it's like in a week. Yeah, exactly. Okay. All right. Bye Greta. Thanks so much for joining me. I'm Krista Smith, your host and creator of the show. Skip Intro is produced and edited by Isabel Arricchio and engineered by Dave Corwin. Special thanks to our coordinator, Alyssa Hillman. Please subscribe, rate, and review Skip Intro wherever you've been listening. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Krista Smith. If you enjoy the podcast, please go to NetflixQ.com for more. That's NetflixQueUE.com. 